Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi and welcome to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Amy Fitzpatrick, Senior Advisor for Disability at Speech Pathology Australia. Today we are going to talk about how a health service in Victoria has adopted the NHMRC endorsed National Autism Assessment Guidelines released by the Autism CRC in 2018 and in particular how they provide a consensus team diagnostic evaluation. A consensus team diagnostic evaluation might be used when the single clinician assessment has not achieved high confidence as to whether an individual meets the autism spectrum diagnostic criteria or another clinical diagnosis. This recognises that there are individuals whose presentation is more complex or subtle, such as whether there's current or previous exposure to personal or family trauma, other medical conditions, co-occurring diagnoses, and acknowledges that an accurate diagnostic decision will require assessment from the broader multidisciplinary team. So now I'd like to introduce the autism assessment team from Melton Health. Thank you to Claire Thorpe, occupational therapist, Dr. Mandy Hiramath, pediatrician, Joe Romel, speech pathologist, and Alex Charalambis, clinical psychologist for joining me today. First, I'd like to ask the team to give me an introduction to what they do in their service. Hi, Amy. So we're a team of speech, just occupational therapists, psychologists, paediatricians and paediatric fellows and registrars who work at Melton Health. And Melton is in the western suburbs of Melbourne and we run um, a variety of different uh, consensus team diagnostic assessments for autism on um, people under the age of 18 years and we do approximately kind of six to seven assessments every week. Fantastic thank you and I'll open this question to the group now. Can you tell me how you work as a team during your consensus diagnostic assessments and what you like about it and perhaps what some of the challenges might be? Uh, I, I might start by just saying that the thing that I love about working in a consensus team is that you're constantly learning from your colleagues, not only from your the, the people who are coming in and the families who are coming in to be assessed, but you're able to learn from the different professional um, backgrounds of the, of the people who you're working alongside. And that really makes you a much better diagnostician and, uh, and, and clinician, I think, because you're learning all the time and improving what you're doing all the time. Um, the challenges, though, of working in a, in a consensus team are that 
it can be difficult when there's disagreements and if there's not a good relationship within the team, that can make it quite stressful. Um, and if communication is challenging, um, that can also make it quite stressful because everybody just wants to advocate for the best um, for, the, for the client and the family and, and what they need, but they might have different perspectives about how to do that. So I think that that can be a really hard thing but that the positives outweigh the negatives. Yeah, that's a really good point. Anybody else have any other thoughts? Mandy? So, Claire, um, yeah, I completely agree that I think the biggest um, benefit for me from a consensus, consensus team diagnostic evaluation is learning from everyone, and that not only helps my approach and the team's approach to autism, but it's also in the, in the bigger scope of our clinical lives as well, because you get to learn about all the different disciplines, what their roles are, what their approaches are and how they approach challenges and um, needs in children. So I think that's, again, yeah, that's one of the biggest advantages I see. But I guess speaking a little bit more about the challenges, it's the logistics of um, a consensus team diagnostic evaluation. And Claire, you'd, you'd understand this as well, but um, trying to pull a team together, especially um, post-COVID um, and, um, and the teams that we work in are quite large because they often involve at least four clinicians. Um, so trying to make sure that we're all available for the evaluation can be quite challenging. And so that's why I guess the, um, the guidelines are so important. You need to choose the type of evaluation you want to do for patients based on the needs rather than just having a set formula for everybody. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the main challenges. That's such an important point. Thanks, Mandy. Is anyone else? Alex? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just to add to that as well, I think from a practical perspective as well, just having the our um, consensus team, not only for the organisation, but also for the families, just being able to, to come in and they can have all the assessments done that they need to through the one team, through the one service, makes it a much smoother process. And we're really fortunate the way that our clinic is set up that we can do that. But it's certainly um, something that is, is positive for the families as well. Thanks, Alex. I guess another strength that I think um, really works for Melton Health is at Melton Health, when we do have all of our professionals available, so our speech pathologist, our occupational therapist, our psychologist, and our paediatrician, what we have implemented is some roles in the assessment clinic, which allows for more comprehensive assessment. So we do have one of the clinicians completing the assessment. We have another clinician that writes up the report and another clinician that um, would be contacting either other highlighted health assistants as well as teachers or other educators. And that really helps us pull together all the information to give a really clear understanding of the child's strengths and difficulties, which would be trickier without that team assessment as well. That's true. I think that leads really nicely into the next question I have which talks about what role or unique skills does each of the professions bring to the assessment. So I might start with you, Claire, as an occupational therapist. What do you think an occupational therapist brings to the team? Sure. So occupational therapists are concerned about and interested in understanding people's sensory 
responses and how those sensory responses are impacting their daily life and if they're becoming um, a challenge for them. And that's one of the diagnostic criteria of autism is whether or not a person has hypo, so less responsiveness to sensation or hyper, more responsiveness to different sensations in everyday life like smell, touch, taste, um, movement, sound. But occupational therapists, I think, are also very interested and want to understand how a person's functions and functional kind of skills and difficulties impact their everyday life and how much support they need to be able to um, participate in everyday activities like going to school, getting dressed, um, uh, eating, um, and, do, and also doing things like leisure and sport and relaxation activities. So um, understanding that and having, a, I guess, a holistic approach means that we're looking at, you know, how, how is this person going in the world? What are their challenges? Um, what are their strengths? And what might they need to help them to move forward? But also, as a clinician who works with lots and lots of young people on the autism spectrum, we're skilled at making observations and breaking down tasks so that we can understand where something might be going wrong. So is it going wrong because of a physical difficulty, because of a perceptual difficulty, or because of a skill deficit? So not understanding that when somebody waves to you, maybe that they might need to wave back. Um, and so breaking down those tasks during an active observation is also a skill set that OTs bring along to diagnostic evaluations. Great, thank you. Okay, now we might move on to psychology and we've got Alex representing this profession for us. Alex, what would you like to say about what psychologists bring to the diagnostic process? Thanks, Amy. So, so uh, psychologist has lots of training in clinical assessment and intervention and a large proportion of the, the training and the learning that we do is around formulation and with that is differential diagnosis. So I guess going into an autism assessment, um, we can bring to the team um, lots of skills when we look at differential diagnosis, particularly through a mental health perspective. So what things are we either um, ruling in or out? What things are we looking at that may be co-occurring? So commonly within our clinic, we see lots of children who um, have also experienced complex trauma, who are also really anxious, um, who also have other mental health difficulties. So um, being able to pull apart what might be going on for that young person and what may be the best explanation, whether that is autism, whether that's um, another uh, diagnosis or whether that's autism and an, another diagnosis. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Okay, how about uh, from a pedi paediatric perspective, Mandri, or from a paediatrician? Thanks, Amy. Um, so um, every, obviously, as we've talked about, there um, every person has a different role in this, and I guess the paediatrician role in this is to get to get a multidisciplinary autism assessment, the referral needs to come from a paediatrician. Um, so you've got the the paediatrician at the start of this this young person's journey through the um, healthcare system, and that paediatrician's role is to determine what the, this child's needs are. So basically, what is the most appropriate pathway for this child to 
to, to see if they have autism spectrum disorder or not. Um, and that means collating all the information about what sort of assessments and what sort of therapies and things this child has had before, and then um, deciding whether a single clinician pathway is more appropriate or a consensus team diagnostic evaluation is needed. So that's the role of the initial paediatrician. In terms of the paediatrician role in the consensus team diagnostic evaluation, um, that is to make sure that um, the medical needs of the child have been addressed, making sure that there are no other medical comorbidities um, or, um, or conditions that might better explain the child's current function and presentation. Um, and things like things to consider are various syndromes that can often present as, um, as autism, um, nutritional deficits, hearing issues, Oh, there's a whole bunch of things that we you need to consider and rule out. So a paediatrician's role is teasing apart that history, really getting an understanding of, of this child, what their history is, and then um, adding that into the assessment to get the outcome. Great, thank you. And finally, we have the speech pathologist role, and I'll hand over to Joe for that. Thanks, Amy. So I guess the speech pathologist role in a consensus team assessment would be to look at the child's language skills and how they would use this for social purposes. We would be looking at how the child is able to use their language to not only initiate some of these conversations and interactions, but how they would be then respond using their language to respond to some of these social interactions. We also look at maybe some unusual stereotypical um, features of communication, and that could include things such as echolalia, jargon, using odd phrases, using repetition, um, using their speech with an odd intonation, looking at their volume and rhythm. And these, I guess, are just some indicators for autism spectrum disorder. With younger children, we do look at their play skills and look at how they use creativity and imagination within their play activities and also within the conversation. We look at ways that they can, you know, request for um, request for things with their caregivers, how they respond to their name, as well as initiate and respond to joint attention with their caregiver. With our older children and with our younger children, we are looking at those nonverbal language skills as well, but maybe with the older children, how they're using this to complement their verbal, verbal language and um, with older children also looking at their ability to communicate their understanding of relationships as well as emotion about how they can perspective, perspective take and even problem solve as well. Thank you, Joe. All right, so we might... Alex, I think, has something more to add now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just also um, had left out before that an another area that a psychologist will support with is the administration of a cognitive assessment as well as the interpretation. So um, just being able to pull that piece of information together to look at a child's development, the cognition, um, and again, whether that's something that um, is explaining what is going on for that young person or not. Yeah, great. Thank you. Andy? Um, can I also add, I think, I don't know if now is a good time, but there's a lot of um, other support that goes into a consensus team diagnostic evaluation. And part of that, and Claire, you'd probably be able to elaborate further on this, but is the administration support um, that goes around. So prior to the assessments, the family received questionnaires to gather a lot of information that contributes to the diagnostic evaluation. 
And then I think a big part of that administration support as well is the follow-up. So um, a lot of our families receive a phone call two weeks later to see how the family are going with the diagnosis to see if there's any help or support that's needed. And I think that's a really um, important part of the evaluation just because a lot of our families are vulnerable and can find this and, and um, have varying health literacy skills. And I think it's important to have that support to um, make sure the, the young people that we see are getting the supports they need. Claire, I just had a follow-up question around NDIS access for families. When I was hearing about what Mandy said about administration support, I was wondering if NDIS access requests or early intervention supports were part of the process because I'm wondering how families would go if they were having trouble with health literacy um, mm -hmm. accessing these supports. Yeah, so our allied health assistant, Gala, she um, gives a lot of um, over-the-phone support to families and then if they need a little bit more um, more support than that or they need somebody to sort of sit down with them and, and to help them complete the application, that's when we'd make a referral to the social worker um, who could do that or we'd find someone in their local area who could help them and support them with that, particularly if they were um, not of an English-speaking background. Um, that's... Those are the circumstances that we've had the most challenges um, for families. Thank you. Okay, so in a pandemic context, I believe you've shifted to telehealth for some of your assessments. So how has that gone and what do you think would be important to consider with that mode of service delivery? I feel like we shifted and changed direction so many times that we could ourselves ballet dancers now <laughs> uh, and pirouetted but um we yeah so what we did was tried a few different telehealth options and then settled on one that seemed to be the most consistent and that helped us to gather the most information a real limitation of a lot of telehealth assessments is that they really only are for preschoolers so or children under the age of three um, there's a variety of them there's the tele asd peds uh, yeah, I, I can't remember all of the names of them, but there are a variety. And what we need, though, in our service is a, a telehealth tool or a tool that we can use with a variety of different ages. And so for us, the brief observation of the symptoms of autism or the BOSA was the most appropriate and the, the most effective tool that we were able to use. So we did that in a variety of ways. At some stages during the pandemic, we took materials out to families' homes and with a, an iPad and got them to record them doing it in their own home. Uh, that was very labour intensive. So that didn't last for very long. And then we shifted to getting them to come in to the clinic and asking them, the families, to do the activities with the child. And so for anyone who isn't aware, the BOSA uses a variety of different activities similar to what's in an ADOS, and it was developed by the people who created the ADOS. And uh, it, it, it uses, you know, a 15 to 20 minute um, observation of the parent and child or another kind of familiar adult and the child interacting and doing um, some different structured activities. And then the ADOS is scored based on those observations. So that ended up being the, the most efficient um, method that we could use for all of our families, you know, not just the younger children. But it certainly took a little while to adapt to that mode and also to trying to figure out a way that we could have clinicians 
in the team working from home or isolating while that while we were doing these assessments. So we needed to figure out a really good video system that we could set up so that people could be working from home and observing the assessment in live in real time as it was happening um, and participating in the discussions in live time as it was happening because we found that to be the most efficient and effective process um, to doing the assessments. You can certainly do it over a number of sessions and over a number of days, but we really wanted to kind of condense it down um, as short as we can for the families and because it's the most time efficient process for us. Anyone else have anything to add, Mandy? I think there, uh, there was, I think that as Claire said, there was a lot of challenges associated with the online assessments, including just being very time and labour intensive, um, especially for the organising team. And, um, and also because the assessments are done online um, or what we're observing is through a video, sometimes it's really, it, it can be tricky to get a true picture of the child. So having the flexibility to um, also, if we felt like that the online system wasn't giving us the information that we needed to make the assessment, it was having the flexibility not to have to come to some sort of conclusion and say, no, actually, we do need to gather some more information. So I think that made it a really effective system as well, in that we we could say, look, we need more information or we'd like to do some further testing or assessments and things like that. So that was a really good thing. Um, the other, um, I guess, the silver lining to the shifting to telehealth and COVID, uh, uh, telehealth and being online um, was, I think it really benefited some of our vulnerable families. So uh, because we're in that crossover between metro and regional slash rural um, Victoria, we do see a lot of families that travel quite far to come to us come to our assessments um, and also families that due to various situations they do do better with telehealth as well it increases their access because they can just jump online they can give us a history and things like that so I think um, I think it really helped to provide an um, equity to our service provision as well because we were able to help uh, increase access for those families that did travel that did find it difficult to come face to face and things like that. So hopefully we can, um, moving forward, we can incorporate that now into our into our normal. Yeah, that's really useful. Thanks, Mandy. Just additionally, I think the other thing that it really taught us was to gather information from a lot more sources, which we were certainly doing before the pandemic, but not as routinely and systematically as we were doing now. So we, we came to really um, value the, the interviews with teachers or childcare staff to um, really take a good look at the questionnaires that, that we've given to parents or to other health, health professionals involved with this young person um, so that we could understand them from a variety of different perspectives. We weren't so reliant on the observations of the child on their own, which I think we certainly had been pre-pandemic because we had such a good observational tool to use and then when you didn't have that great observational tool we had to make sure that we were just gathering as much information as we could um, prior to the assessment and relying a little bit less on those observations because we were using a new tool because we were using a tool that we weren't as familiar with um, and then putting all of the information together um, to really understand it so I think it made us 
become more versatile in gathering a variety of pieces of evidence. Um, and before we had probably been um, much more confident and, and comfortable with the observational tool, we could no longer use that. I think that's a really great point. And I think um, as listeners may not know in a previous life, I was part of the team at Milton and I think I really took the surveys that we used for granted and didn't really appreciate how much information was gathered from those surveys. Um, and now looking back, I think they were a goldmine of information. <laughs> um, I think they were a really valuable part of the assessment. So I really think that that's an excellent point, Claire. Um, and I really also think that assessments for assessments sake, um, you know, will never be a gold standard. So really using all the information you're gathering um, as meaningfully as possible is just an excellent use of time. So yeah, I think that's a really great learning. I was speaking before about how the NDIS is very much based on a deficit model, particularly in writing reports and um, accessing funding. The autism assessment guideline is very much focused on a strengths-based approach and uh, celebrating the strengths of an individual. How have you shifted from a deficit-based style of writing in your reports um, to a strengths-based style of writing reports in your clinic? Instead of us going towards saying it's exclusively a strengths-based report or a, you know, a challenges-based report, I feel like what we endeavour to do at Melton Health is kind of look at a holistic report. So, of course, we will start off with the child's strengths, but we will be noting the difficulties that we've not only seen in assessments but that have been reported by educators, previous therapists, and we put that together. And I think that just also helps us understand the child's overall picture to say that, um, no, sure, they've, they've got these difficulties, but then they can use these strengths to support these current difficulties. And um, yeah, and I guess, yeah, that was That's a really, really good way to look at the person um, as a whole person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to add to what Joe had, sorry, Claire, just sorry, um, to add to what Joe had said, I think also just being more mindful of the language that is used throughout the report. So um, not only in terms of the reader and, and the demographic that we work with, but also just making sure um, that we are um, being sensitive around the language that's used. And obviously there's... Um, uh, as it shifts and then we, we there's more research that's being conducted with um, neurodivergent people, we're getting more um, information around the, the preferred language, the preferred wording um, that is being used. So I, I think that's also that something that's being incorporated um, as we're moving forwards. In our previous reports, we were focused so much on addressing the DSM criteria and the DSM criteria are completely deficits focused. And when the guidelines came out, I think it just helped us to reflect that we were being very deficit focused because, you know, and I certainly don't want to blame the DSM, but because the DSM was, um, that's what it, you know, what we need to, to talk about and, and talk to to prove or to give evidence about that this individual is on the autism spectrum. And so now what we do is we have a specific section of the report where we talk about all of the the child and the family's strengths um, and the strengths in their in their current situation and system whereas before we weren't doing that and we were certainly including 
but in a less formal way and alongside the deficit. So now we really make a point to talk about it as its own separate section in the report to give that um, as much kind of merit and um, coverage and uh, as, as we can and really acknowledging that that's just as important as the challenges that the, the individual has. And I guess just to add to that, just like how we have added that new section about strengths, another section that we do tend to highlight now is more our supports and recommendations. So, you know, really giving a clear guide to the families that we acknowledge that, you know, your child needs support and they need support supports in these areas. And I feel like that frames it really well for the NDIS to show them and indicate to them that this is the support that they need. We've um, we don't need to keep repeating the difficulties. This is our plan from this point forward. Yeah, that's good. Andy? Um, I just wanted to elaborate further on what Alex said um, before in that I think as research grows and our understanding of autism spectrum increases, there is this really big shift to understanding neurodivergent versus neurotypical. Mm. And I think our, our reports and our feedback to families are really started starting to reflect this in that autism spectrum it is a different it is just a different um it's just a different presentation it is not this is what i try to get across to the families that i treat is that it is not a diagnosis it is not a disorder it is just a different understanding of a child and there and as joe said we need to consider that holistically and that presentation of the child it comes with its own strengths and um, challenges and we need to address both of them and that's what I definitely try to get across or we all try to get across in our report and in our feedbacks to the family is it just gives us a better understanding of this child or this young person that we're seeing um, and it is not a it is not a bad thing at all it is just different and that's what we have and I think this is going to bring us along in line with society and as the understanding of autism spectrum grows as well almost like a learning profile that they've got yeah. a passport in front of them rather than a diagnostic report that has strengths, strengths and supports that are needed which is much nicer than a report that says what's wrong with you yeah <laughs> yeah which I've got plenty of <laughs> okay thank you and I guess what a lot of listeners would like to know would be when you graduate from university and you find yourself in a job perhaps at Melton Health as a new graduate, what training would you access if you'd like to diagnose autism or work in a diagnostic clinic like yourselves? I think it's all probably um, a little bit individual to the professional background of the person, um, but the transdisciplinary training that we undertake is some... Uh, a, a course called ASD Fundamentals Training, which is run in Melbourne by um, the Mindful Group and also the ADOS Training because it is such an effective observational tool. And even though we're not using that tool right now, we are still, we are still using it to score our observations. Um, and it's the, the gold standard, the best um, assessment internationally that, that we know of. So those are two of the... Um, two of the trainings that all disciplines would do and then probably depending on if you're a speech pathologist, OT, psychologist, paediatrician, paediatric registrar, you would do some more discipline specific um, assessments as well. Mandy? Um, 
I was actually in that position where I found myself as a paediatric registrar um, with very little developmental training um, at Melton Health um, and it was definitely a steep learning curve. Um, but I always remember as a medical student, and I, this is a, applicable across disciplines, is that to truly understand a, um, you know, understand what is going on, you need to expose yourself to as much um, as much of a range as possible. So I think one of the biggest learning aids that I have found is being exposed to a variety of children with different qualities and characteristics and helping me to understand how to identify needs in a child and what the challenges and strengths are because I've seen a variety of children I know um, because I see it every day in my working life um, and I can and then you learn to understand what impacts this is actually having on a child and I think that's been the biggest um, the biggest learning aid that's helped me in becoming one of the consensus team diagnostic team, um, yeah, evaluations. Um, and as Claire said, the Mindful um, program in Melbourne is um, also a really good resource with, and they do courses, not only on specific assessments like ADOS and the ADAIR, but they do um, cover a lot of um, specific topics such as autism in girls and how that presents and autism and feeding. And they do a lot of um, interest um, based courses as well, which anyone can sign up to as well. So Alex. this probably ties back into what Claire had mentioned at the start around the benefits of working in a multidisciplinary team where you're learning so much constantly from the other professions. Um, on the flip side of that, in a good way, it also helps you identify any gaps in your learning and your knowledge to be able to go, all right, that's something that I think would be really useful for for me to upskill on and, and to better understand. And we're very lucky at Melton Health where we have so much exposure to um, these assessments. It's something that we do on a regular basis and that learning is exceptional and that, that that is you know so rich where we're able to to get that from so um yeah just I guess the sheer number of assessments that we're involved in and those learning opportunities um have, have been really helpful I know personally for me coming into the the clinic that has just been something that um has continued to expand my knowledge and and my learning great and Joe. I think what's been really helpful um, for myself is at Melton Health, as mentioned, we do lots of autism assessments. So we see, you know, lots of deficits and lots of difficulties. So what's been really helpful is just taking a step back and having a look at times where we can actually look at typical development. So at Melton Health, we have had the chance to, you know, go into childcare centres, a little bit difficult now with COVID, but even have a child that does present with typical development um, come into our clinics and as a team assess that just to remind ourselves that um, you know these are the expectations that we have for children at this age with this de developmental level and the lack of these skills that we are seeing with the children that do present to the autism clinic that do um, do get the diagnosis it's a clear indication and a good learning a good learning experience for us as well yeah great thank you Okay, well, thank you very much for your time and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. There's some more resources about the National Autism Assessment Guideline on the Speech Pathology Australia website or the Autism CRC website. And thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with another Speak Up conversation next Wednesday. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.